Day 2 of Totus Tuus' Novena, with quotes from John Paul II's encyclical, Fides et Ratio. Underlying all the Church's thinking is the awareness that she is the bearer of a message which has its origin in God himself. The knowledge which the Church offers to man has its origin not in any speculation of her own, however sublime, but in the word of God, which she has received in faith. At the origin of our life of faith, there is an encounter, unique in kind, which discloses a mystery hidden for long ages, but which is now revealed. In his goodness and wisdom, God chose to reveal himself and to make known to us the hidden purpose of his will, by which, through Christ, the Word made flesh. Man has access to the Father in the Holy Spirit and comes to share in the divine nature. This initiative is utterly gratuitous, moving from God to men and women in order to bring them to salvation. As the source of love, God desires to make himself known, and the knowledge which the human being has of God perfects all that the human mind can know of the meaning of life. Restating almost to the letter the teaching of the First Vatican Council's Constitution, Dei Filius, and taking into account the principles set out by the Council of Trent, the Second Vatican Council's Constitution, Dei Verbum, pursued the age-old journey of understanding faith, reflecting on revelation in the light of the teaching of Scripture and of the entire patristic tradition. At the First Vatican Council, the Fathers had stressed the supernatural character of God's revelation. On the basis of mistaken and very widespread assertions, the rationalist critique of the time attacked faith and denied the possibility of any knowledge which was not the fruit of reason's natural capacities. This obliged the Council to reaffirm emphatically that there exists a knowledge which is peculiar to faith, surpassing the knowledge proper to human reason, which nevertheless by its nature can discover the Creator. This knowledge expresses a truth based upon the very fact of God who reveals himself a truth which is most certain, since God neither deceives nor wishes to deceive. The First Vatican Council teaches then that the truth attained by philosophy and the truth of revelation are neither identical nor mutually exclusive. There exists a twofold order of knowledge, distinct not only as regards their source, but also as regards their object. With regard to the source, because we know in one by natural reason, in the other by divine faith. With regard to the object, because besides those things which natural reason can attain, there are proposed for our belief mysteries hidden in God, which, unless they are divinely revealed, cannot be known. Based upon God's testimony and enjoying the supernatural assistance of grace, Faith is of an order other than philosophical knowledge, which depends upon sense perception and experience, 
and which advances by the light of the intellect alone. Philosophy and the sciences function within the order of natural reason, while faith, enlightened and guided by the Spirit, recognizes in the message of salvation the fullness of grace and truth, which God has willed to reveal in history and definitively through His Son, Jesus Christ. Contemplating Jesus as Revealer, the Fathers of the Second Vatican Council stressed the salvific character of God's revelation in history, describing it in these terms. In this revelation, the invisible God, out of the abundance of His love, speaks to men and women as friends, and lives among them, so that He may invite and take them into communion with Himself. This plan of revelation is realized by deeds and words having an inner unity. The deeds wrought by God in the history of salvation manifest and confirm the teaching and realities signified by the words, while the words proclaim the deeds and clarify the mystery contained in them. By this revelation, then, the deepest truth about God and human salvation is made clear to us in Christ, who is the mediator and at the same time the fullness of all revelation. God's revelation is therefore immersed in time and history. Jesus Christ took flesh in the fullness of time, and two thousand years later I feel bound to restate forcefully that in Christianity time has a fundamental importance. It is within time that the whole work of creation and salvation comes to light, and it emerges clearly above all that, with the incarnation of the Son of God, our life is even now a foretaste of the fulfillment of time which is to come. The truth about himself and his life, which God has entrusted to humanity, is immersed therefore in time and history and it was declared once and for all in the mystery of Jesus of Nazareth. The Constitution Dei Verbum puts it eloquently. After speaking in many places and varied ways through the prophets, God, last of all, in these days, has spoken to us by His Son. For He sent His Son, the Eternal Word, who enlightens all people, so that He might dwell among them, and tell them the innermost realities about God. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, sent as a human being to human beings, speaks the words of God, and completes the work of salvation which His Father gave Him to do. To see Jesus is to see His Father. For this reason, Jesus perfected revelation by fulfilling it through his whole work of making himself present and manifesting himself. Through his words and deeds, his signs and wonders, but especially through his death and glorious resurrection from the dead, and finally his sending of the Spirit of Truth. For the people of God, therefore, history becomes a path to be followed to the end so that by the unceasing action of the Holy Spirit, the contents of revealed truth may find their full expression. 
This is the teaching of the Constitution, Dei Verbum, when it states that, as the centuries succeed one another, the Church constantly progresses towards the fullness of divine truth, until the words of God reach their complete fulfillment in her. History, therefore, becomes the arena where we see what God does for humanity. God comes to us in the things we know best and can verify most easily. The things of our everyday life, apart from which we cannot understand ourselves. In the incarnation of the Son of God, we see forged the enduring and definitive synthesis which the human mind of itself could not even have imagined. The eternal enters time. The whole lies hidden in the part. God takes on a human face. The truth communicated in Christ's revelation is therefore no longer confined to a particular place or culture, but is offered to every man and woman who would welcome it as the word, which is the absolutely valid source of meaning for human life. Now, in Christ, all have access to the Father, since by his death and resurrection, Christ has bestowed the divine life which the first Adam had refused. Through this revelation, men and women are offered the ultimate truth about their own life and about the goal of history. As the Constitution, Gaudium et Spares puts it, only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. Seen in any other terms, the mystery of personal existence remains an insoluble riddle. Where might the human being seek the answer to dramatic questions such as pain, the suffering of the innocent, and death, if not in the light streaming from the mystery of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection? It should nonetheless be kept in mind that revelation remains charged with mystery. It is true that Jesus, with his entire life, revealed the countenance of the Father, for he came to teach the secret things of God. But our vision of the face of God is always fragmentary and impaired by the limits of our understanding. Faith alone makes it possible to penetrate the mystery in a way that allows us to understand it coherently. The Council teaches that the obedience of faith must be given to God who reveals himself. This brief but dense statement points to a fundamental truth of Christianity. Faith is said first to be an obedient response to God. This implies that God be acknowledged in his divinity, transcendence and supreme freedom. By the authority of his absolute transcendence, God who makes himself known is also the source of the credibility of what he reveals. By faith, men and women give their assent to this divine testimony. This means that they acknowledge fully and integrally the truth of what is revealed because it is God himself who is the guarantor of that truth. They can make no claim upon this truth which comes to them as gift and which, 
set within the context of interpersonal communication, urges reason to be open to it and to embrace its profound meaning. This is why the Church has always considered the act of entrusting oneself to God to be a moment of fundamental decision, which engages the whole person. In that act, the intellect and the will display their spiritual nature, enabling the subject to act in a way which realizes personal freedom to the full. It is not just that freedom is part of the act of faith, it is absolutely required. Indeed, it is faith that allows individuals to give consummate expression to their own freedom. Put differently, freedom is not realized in decisions made against God. For how could it be an exercise of true freedom to refuse to be open to the very reality which enables our self-realization? Men and women can accomplish no more important act in their lives than the act of faith. It is here that freedom reaches the certainty of truth and chooses to live in that truth. To assist reason in its effort to understand the mystery, there are the signs which revelation itself presents. These serve to lead the search for truth to new depths, enabling the mind in its autonomous exploration to penetrate within the mystery by use of reason's own methods of which it is rightly jealous. Yet these signs also urge reason to look beyond their status as signs in order to grasp the deeper meaning which they bear. They contain a hidden truth to which the mind is drawn and which it cannot ignore without destroying the very signs which it is given. In a sense, then, we return to the sacramental character of Revelation and especially to the sign of the Eucharist, in which the indissoluble unity between the signifier and the signified makes it possible to grasp the depths of the mystery. In the Eucharist, Christ is truly present and alive, working through his Spirit. Yet, as St. Thomas said so well, what you neither see nor grasp, faith confirms for you leaving nature far behind. A sign it is that now appears, hiding in mystery realities sublime. He is echoed by the philosopher Pascal. Just as Jesus Christ went unrecognized among men, so does his truth appear without external difference among common modes of thought. So too does the Eucharist remain among common bread. In short, the knowledge profit of faith does not destroy the mystery. It only reveals it the more, showing how necessary it is for people's lives. Christ the Lord, in revealing the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself and makes clear his supreme calling, which is to share in the divine mystery of the life of the Trinity. From the teaching of the two Vatican councils, there also emerges a genuinely novel consideration for philosophical learning. Revelation has set within history a point of reference which cannot be ignored if the mystery of human life is to be known. Yet this knowledge refers back 
constantly to the mystery of God, which the human mind cannot exhaust, but can only receive and embrace in faith. Between these two poles, reason has its own specific field in which it can inquire and understand, restricted only by its finiteness before the infinite mystery of God. Revelation therefore introduces into our history a universal and ultimate truth which stirs the human mind to ceaseless effort. Indeed, it impels reason continually to extend the range of its knowledge until it senses that it has done all in its power, leaving no stone unturned. To assist our reflection on this point, we have one of the most fruitful and important minds in human history, a point of reference for both philosophy and theology, Saint Anselm. In his Proslogion, the Archbishop of Canterbury puts it this way, Thinking of this problem frequently and intently, at times it seemed I was ready to grasp what I was seeking. At other times it eluded my thought completely, until finally, despairing of being able to find it, I wanted to abandon the search for something which was impossible to find. I wanted to rid myself of that thought because, by filling my mind, it distracted me from other problems from which I could gain some profit. But it would then present itself with ever greater insistence. Woe is me, one of the poor children of Eve, far from God. What did I set out to do, and what have I accomplished? What was I aiming for, and how far have I got? What did I aspire to, and what did I long for? O Lord, you are not only that than which nothing greater can be conceived, but you are greater than all that can be conceived. If you are not such, something greater than you could be thought, and this is impossible. The truth of Christian revelation found in Jesus of Nazareth enables all men and women to embrace the mystery of their own life. As absolute truth, it summons human beings to be open to the transcendent, whilst respecting both their autonomy as creatures and their freedom. At this point, the relationship between freedom and truth is complete, and we understand the full meaning of the Lord's words. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Christian revelation is the true lodestar of men and women, as they strive to make their way amid the pressures of an eminentist habit of mind and the constrictions of a technocratic logic. It is the ultimate possibility offered by God for human beings to know in all their fullness the seminal plan of love which began with creation. To those wishing to know the truth, if they can look beyond themselves and their own concerns, there is given the possibility of taking full and harmonious possession of their lives, precisely by following the path of truth. Here the words of the book of Deuteronomy are pertinent. This commandment which I command you is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, 
who will go up for us to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you can do it. This text finds an echo in the famous dictum of the holy philosopher and theologian Augustine. Do not wander far and wide, but return into yourself. Deep within man, there dwells the truth. These considerations prompt a first conclusion. The truth made known to us by revelation is neither the product nor the consummation of an argument devised by human reason. It appears instead as something gratuitous, which itself stirs thought and seeks acceptance as an expression of love. This revealed truth is set within our history as an anticipation of that ultimate and definitive vision of God which is reserved for those who believe in him and seek him with a sincere heart. The ultimate purpose of personal existence, then, is the theme of philosophy and theology alike. For all their difference of method and content, both disciplines point to that path of life which, as faith tells us, leads in the end to the full and lasting joy of the contemplation of the Triune God. Let us pray. Grant me, O Lord my God, a mind to know you, a heart to seek you, wisdom to find you, conduct pleasing to you, faithful perseverance in waiting for you, and a hope of finally embracing you. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.